0: Hello faithful listeners, you might have noticed that you're listening to episode 201 this week, not episode 200. There's a reason for that. Quantum physics and nonlinear linear space-time symmetry. Also some other stuff. But don't get your tentacles in a bunch. Kick back, enjoy the show, and we'll have episode 200 at you next week. Or last week, whichever you prefer to look at it as. Tulu. Toodaloo. Welcome to The Travelcast, episode 201. The Travelcast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So yeah, like I was saying, that quantum physics stuff, pretty out there. But if there's one thing more baffling and mysterious than quantum mechanics, it's gotta be women. Or aliens. And... Aliens, women and aliens, they tie. They tie in the sense that space and time tie in quantum physics, or energy and momentum, in the sense that particles and wavelengths tie when you're describing an electron. Complementary conjugate pairs, some nerd named Niels Bohr once called it. Lost, mind hurting a bit. Lift up those tinfoil hats and lower down those toilet seats. It still won't make any sense and you'll never understand. But hey, no worries, you're not alone. Even old Niels Bohr himself once said, quote, I think I can safely say that nobody understands quantum mechanics. Or women or aliens, we would add. Please, only one theory at a time, Niels would then respond, from the past, because time is nonlinear. Yes, March is Women and Aliens Appreciation Month, folks, our little way of saying thanks to both for not wiping us off the planet yet. It's a whole month of stories about aliens written by women. We're starting things off with a trifecta episode, three short stories by three different authors told by three different storytellers, all of it based around some theme. The theme of this trifecta, Creepy Crawlies, we think you'll enjoy. Going to start things off with a story called Fiddleback Ferns by Sarah Minette. Miss Minette was born and raised in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, one of the secret cities of the Manhattan Project. She studied English and classics in college and went on to get her M.A. and Ph.D. in English Literature. She writes primarily fantasy and received the 2003 Spectrum Award for her short story, Three Letters from the Queen of Elfland. The story is read to you by Christiana Ellis. Christiana is an award-winning writer and podcaster currently living in Cary, North Carolina. Her podcast novel, Nina Kimberly the Merciless, was both an inaugural nominee for the 2006 Parsec Award for Best Speculative Fiction Long Form, as well as a finalist for a 2006 Podcast Peer Award. Christiana is also the writer, producer, and star of Space Casey, a 10-part audio drama miniseries which won the Goldmark Time Award for Best Science Fiction Audio Production by the American Society for Science Fiction Audio. So, without further ado, we bring you Fiddleback Ferns, by Sarah Manette.
1: "'Are these fiddleback ferns, Mommy?' Cindy asked. "'Fiddlehead, honey,' Marjorie said absently. "'Fiddlebacks are nasty spiders.' It was only later that she would realize that Cindy, for once in her vacuous, Barbie-obsessed life, had been exactly right. Fiddleback ferns, indeed. Marjorie dismissed them as weeds at first. The plants she cared about bloomed prettily and smelled nice, rooted them out, planted pansies instead. But a week later, the pansies were dead, "'in those nasty purple-green shoots, were visible again. "'Darn it,' said Marjorie, who never swore, "'and dug them out again. "'But the more of them she uprooted, the more there seemed to be. "'Their smell was like something burning rather than something growing, "'and it was strong. "'Ron complained of headaches and did even less yard work than usual.' Marjorie consulted her gardening books, consulted Mrs. Higgins next door, even got Daniel to show her how to Google. But she couldn't find anything that looked like the things growing in her yard. Daniel, who watched too much TV, said, maybe they're alien spores or something. And Marjorie said, do your homework. Cindy and Daniel were sick more often that spring than Marjorie could ever remember them being. Allergies, the doctors said. Asthma, they said, when Cindy started having trouble breathing. Will you buy me another Barbie because I'm sick? was all Cindy cared about. And then Cindy was in the hospital with a tube in her throat. And Ron was out getting drunk with the boys, because that was how Ron coped in a crisis. Daniel was supposed to be doing his homework, but he was watching TV. Marjorie stood in her spotless kitchen and thought about the strange plants that had taken over her flowerbeds, fiddleback ferns, alien spores. Fuck, said Marjorie, who never swore mom daniel said turning away from the tv but marjorie wasn't there she stood on her front lawn in the twilight staring at them why she said why here why us the most important problem in cindy's life was that her barbies were too big to ride her my little ponies if you're going to beam down from outer space and kill some poor little kid shouldn't it be einstein or gandhi or somebody The ugly purple-green fronds ignored her and unfurled another millimeter. Ignore this, Audrey, Marjorie muttered. Marjorie, honey, said Mrs. Higgins next door. Is that gasoline? Marjorie ignored her, and Mrs. Higgins went inside to call 911. But Marjorie lit the match before the police got there. Daniel stood on the sidewalk, watching his mother capering like a witch before their burning house, watching the greenish oily smoke rising up from the flower beds. And when the policeman asked him why his mother had done it, he said, An exorcism, like in that movie. Too much TV, the policeman said, and he went to radio for a fire truck. And Marjorie went to ask Mrs. Higgins next door if she could borrow some salt.
0: Our next story is called Killipedes by Jens Rushing. Jens writes fiction of every stripe, with over a dozen stories published since 2007 in places such as Out West Magazine, Space Westerns, and other fine publications. Check out Jens' site at jensrushing.com for more stories. So, again, without further ado, we bring you Killipedes by Jens Rushing. Well, there's your problem, I said. Nasty case of killipedes. Dolores, a middle-aged elementary school librarian and a nice person, started trembling all over. Sad to see. But I've always been so careful, she protested. Well, it doesn't matter how you got I said in my best, stern yet comforting doctor voice. What does matter is that we caught early, in the larval stage. You have lots of time to settle your affairs, days at least. When they pupate, the legs jab right through your skin. So do the stingers. Well, one of the stingers, the other one goes in your spinal cord, drawn to it like a bee to nectar. Nature really is amazing. See, that's why so many men of science, a surprising percentage, are religious people. You can't help but believe in a creator when you're face-to-face with the awesome complexity of natural organisms. Take the killipede's venom, for example. Evolution didn't have to make it incredibly painful as well as paralyzing. Uh, Or like strawberries. Evolution didn't have to make them so delicious, but you argue that they must be delicious or they'll be eaten, so the seeds will spread. But eggplant is eaten and the seeds spread, and eggplant tastes like manure. (laughs) You see, the deliciousness of strawberries is proof that God loves us. Doctor, will you shut up, please? She cried a bit rudely. Um, okay. Jeez Louise, I added under my breath. What's going to happen to me? She was flustered, poor girl. Uh, Untreated or treated, it doesn't really matter. There's... The pupil stage, which I just described, followed by the final adult stage, which is really quite interesting from a medical and xenobiological point of view. Uh, Whether you'll be technically alive and able to truly appreciate it is a matter of some debate in the scientific community. Your heart will still beat, sure, stimulated by the dual-pronged antenna that grow from the kilopede's neural cluster, but brain activity will decline to a near-vegetative state. You'll still be able to sense pain, of course. Actually, (laughs) the endorphins the kilopede injects directly into your brainstem will heighten your perception of pain so that every movement... Every little twinge of discomfort or exertion will blast through your brain across the full spectrum of agony. But whether you will be able to appreciate the neurochemical and aesthetic changes transmuting your body, well, we simply don't know. Um, Some say that- Doctor, you aren't helping. I was annoyed. Well, yes, it's quite difficult to help anyone with anything when one is constantly being interrupted. Dolores furrowed her brow an expression made unintentionally hilarious by the mass of kilopedes writhing under her forehead skin I'm getting really angry with you she said oh, oh that's just the kilopedes talking I said with a comforting chuckle I'm a wreck I'm scared and hurting here I patted her shoulder and said with great sympathy and understanding oh is it that time of the month uh, uh. I'm, I'm getting a second opinion, she screamed and shoved me away and flounced out. Uh, Two aspirin, call me in the morning, I shouted after her. She'd feel better after a good nap, maybe a bath. The hospital gown exposed her retreating backside, a hundred thousand kilopedes swarming under her skin. Oh, the miracle of life, I said to myself, beautiful in its own way. A woman, seven months pregnant, walked past my door. The next office belongs to a gynecologist. I shuddered and looked away. Pregnant women kind of gross me out. And our final story this week, The Difficulties of Evolution, by Karen Hewler. In 1995, Karen's first collection of stories was published by the University of Missouri, and the New York Times Review called it haunting and quirky. In 1998, one of her stories won the O. Henry Award. In 2003, an anthology on snake tales included a story of hers, and this year, one of her books was a finalist for Barbara Kingslover's Bellwether Prize. So far, she's published over 30 stories, and there's a lot more to sell. Check her out at karenhewler.com. The story is read to you by Tina Connolly. Tina lives in Portland, Oregon with her husband and brand new baby boy. Her stories have appeared in Strange Horizons, Fantasy, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, and the anthology Unplugged, Year's Best Online SF 2008. Her debut fantasy novel, Iron Skin, is forthcoming from Tor Books in Spring 2012, with a sequel in 2013. She's a frequent reader for Escape Pod and PodCastle, and she works as a face painter, which means a glitter-filled house as an occupational hazard. Check our website out at tinaconnelly.com. So onward we go. We bring you The Difficulties of Evolution by Karen Hewler.
2: To save this one, Franca said, stroking Jaegel her youngest. The child sat in Franca's lap, her dark eyes following the doctor happily. She chattered and waved her small hands around. She's my second, Franca added. Her hand rubbed the spot on Jaegel's ribs where it was thickening. Ah yes, Dr. Benicourt said. Evan, what was he, ten or so when it started? Yes, I thought at her age it was too early. There should be lots of time. You know it can happen at any point. I had a patient who was sixty. Yes, you told me, Franca said impatiently and stopped herself. She took a moment to calm herself and the doctor waited. He was good, patient, professional, and Franca hoped that he could help. She wanted to say, I'm imagining the worst, and have him reply, the worst won't happen. She knew better, but she was hoping to hear it nevertheless. It had happened suddenly, Franca was bathing her daughter the week before, cooing at the smiling, prattling wonder of her life. After the shock of watching Evan go, she knew she was a little possessive. Franca smoothed the washcloth over the toddler's skin, gently swirling water over the perfect limbs, the wrinkles at the joints, the plump calves and shoulders. She felt a thickening at the ribs, an area that surely just the day before had been soft and pliant. She automatically talked back as Jägel babbled, but she felt her face freeze. And Jägel noticed the difference in her touch and grew concerned, her legs pumping impatiently. And Franca couldn't keep her hands off her, touching touching the spots that were changing until Jägel began to bruise. And Simon told her to go to the doctor. He said it coldly. He felt the spots that Franca felt and he holed himself up deep inside, leaving Franca to find out the truth alone. "'She's my second,' Franca whispered to the doctor. "'He'd been highly recommended by Deidre, "'who had three emerald beetles tethered to her house, "'buzzing and smacking the picture window "'when the family sat down to watch TV. "'We know their favorite shows,' Deidre said. "'We know when they're happy.' "'Franca didn't want Yeagle to end up like that, "'a child-sized insect swooping to her and away, "'eating from her palm. "'She wanted Yeagle to end up a little girl.' Time will tell, Dr. Benicourt said. Time and blood tests. Diegel screamed when the needle went in, but she forgot it all when given a lollipop. Maybe everything was still alright. A month to get the results, and packets of information, numbers of people to talk to, a video explaining the process. He forgot she already had all this, from when Evan changed. She didn't look at any of it. And neither did Simon. I don't want this to happen, Franca whispered to her daughter day and night. He go cooed back. Don't you think you could love her no matter what? Deidre asked cruelly when she came to lend her support. She so seldom left her home, she preferred to stay close to her emerald boys. Some people let their children go when they changed, gave in and released them took the ones that swam to the sea, and the ones that flew to the hills. The lucky ones kept the cats and dogs as pets, not such a change after all, and put the ponies in the yard. You could wish for the higher orders, you could wish for the softer, cuddlier evolutions, but you couldn't change what was meant to be. But whatever they are, you love them still, Deirdre said. The three emerald beetles were about the size of a five-year-old child. They lifted and fluttered up and hit the window, sometimes three at a time, with whirring thuds. They pulled to the ends of their cords, their green wings pulsing. My dears, my sweets, Deedra thought as she stood on the inside of the picture window, her fingertips touching the glass as they swooped towards her, their hard black eyes intent. My all, my all, my all. She put out bowls for them, rotted things mixed with honey and vitamins, her own recipe, and rolled down the awning in case it rained, and went to Franca's house when she called where she found her friend with her child in her arms. Feel this, Franca said. She rubbed the spot along Yegel's ribs. It's thicker, isn't it? Well, not like the rest of her skin. Deidre took her fingers and delicately felt the spot. It felt like a piece of tape under the skin, less resilient forming a kind of half-moon. Yes, Deidre said, maybe. It could be anything. Evan was ten, Franca whispered, and she's only three. Your boys, did it happen at the same age for each? Deidre shook her head. Everyone is different, she said, trying to find the right thing to say. They're always different. Every day, Yegel's skin thickened, making her arms and legs appear shorter. She no longer tried to stand up. Crawling seemed to be more efficient. The first thick spot on her back now had a scale-like or plate-like appearance. Franca went to the library and began to look through books for an animal that matched. Armadillo? No. Rhino? No. And not elephant skin, either. She skipped over whole sections, refusing to look at tortoises, lizards, snakes. They were taught evolution as children, of course. The intimate, intricate link of the stages of life. Amoeba, fish, crawling fish, reptile. Pupa, insect, egg, bird, chimp, ape, human, all the wonderful trigonometry of form and function. The beauty of it was startling. However life started, it changed. You were a baby once, then you're different. Each egg had its own calling, no one stopped. How beautiful it was to watch as characteristics became form, as the infant with a lithe crawl became a cat, as the toddler with a steady gaze became an owl, as the child who ran became a horse. It was magnificent. Her own brother had soared into the sky finally, a remarkable crow, always attracted to sparkle, rockishly rowdy. She had envied him, his completion. She had stayed a child. Still. Maybe it was less than magnificent when it was your own child. Or it was some deficit of her own. Simon told her gruffly, Babies grow up, Franca. You know they change. You don't decide when it's time for them to go, they do. When it's right for them, not for you. He was not a sympathetic man, but had that always been true? No. Now he used to be interested in her worries. He used to want to soothe her rather than lecture although, she told herself, he was dealing with it too. Both children evolving, leaving, so quickly gone. Of course, it was hard for him too. She remembered her own brother's metamorphosis as a magical time. She leapt up out of bed each morning to see the change in him overnight. A pouty mouth to a beak, dark fuzz on his shoulders into feathers, the way his feet cramped into claws, the tilt of his head and the glitter of his eye. It had been wonderful to see him fly, leaning out the window one minute, through it the next. Even in the memory of it she heard her mother's faltering cry. How dodgy her mother had seemed. She leaned over Jaegle. I will always love you, she confided to the child's tender ear. Yegel poked her tongue out, clamped her arms to her side. Always, Franken repeated. Always. She kissed her on the neck and bit her ear tenderly. Her neighbor Phoebe had two girls. Neither of them evolved. She looked pregnant again and Franco went over to talk to her. I think Diego is evolving, she said. You're so lucky. Of course, it was wrong not to accept her children as they were, but she felt it in her, a deep reluctance to let go. Phoebe nodded. It's so nice to have them at home for so long, yes. Of course there's so much beauty in the changes. You know Hildy's girl. Franken nodded. A lunar moth, elegant, curved wings, extraordinary, trembling on the roof. Hildy's taken photos and made an incredible silkscreen image. It's haunting. I look at some of the changes and it feels almost religious. Phoebe's face looked dutiful, and Franca knew a lie when she heard one. The false sincerity, the false envy. It was always better to have children who stayed children, and not some phenomenal moth. And when they changed, there was always a judgment. No one really said it, but it was there. The mothers of sharks would always weep. Children who didn't evolve were more of a blessing, no matter how basic it was to evolve. "'You're too possessive,' Simon said, hunched over his dinner. He was eating quickly, tearing at his food. "'Life is change.' He finished his meal and prowled down the hall, going into his daughter's room, sniffing and blinking. "'Reptile,' he said, coming back. "'Cold blood.' He went off to watch his TV. She drove around the next day, slowly. There were cages everywhere, some of them immense and gothic, There were new ponds and short bursts of trees. A huge, exquisite ceramic beehive stood next to a garage. She heard the trumpet of an elephant down the next road, and a scream of a peacock. As she drove, heads poked from the corners of garages and from behind gazebos, some of them not yet completely determined. She made a mental note to remember where they were in case she needed them. For Jägel. Sometimes the changes were slow, and sometimes the changes were fast. Yegel stood up again and walked like a little girl. Stubby, but a little girl. She described every event of her day, repeating the things the other little girls had done, describing how one of them grew a bandit mask on her face, and sometimes washed her food before eating. She's all right, Simon said stubbornly. I'm afraid for her, she said, and her voice sounded thick. Simon's hard, bushy eyes stared at her, ticking down her body, studying her. Maybe Jägel would never change. Maybe this was just her version of a little girl. Some evolved early, some evolved late. Every morning she counted Jägel's fingers and toes, and then she counted her own. She longed for nighttime and the rise of wind, for the moment of freshness at the start of a storm. She was beginning to sense her own change, and was surprised one day to look at Yagel and consider how fragile she was, how available and simple her neck looked, how fatty her arms and how ample her thighs. She caught new angles when she saw her face in the mirror, a starkness that hadn't been there and now struck her as cunning. She went to the top of stairs and stared down them. She looked out of the windows and her eyes caught the blur and skitter of countless beings hiding behind and under things. She no longer cooked her food, and finally Simon coaxed her out with promises of meat and locked the door against her. She had skin stretched tight across the bones that pulled out from her shoulders, a hard elastic that wrinkled only when she pulled in her elbows, firm against her ribs. When she stretched her arms out, it was not possible to fight the tug, stronger than blood that lifted her, or dropped her from great heights when she'd already been lifted. When she fell, it was with a liquid plummet, streamlined and terrible, her jaw slicing the air, her eyes tricking out every detail. Each movement in the air was adrenaline. She was pure and fast and vastly hungry. When she sighted her prey, she started out silent and swift. But just before she struck, a large, chaotic cry burst from her, turning the prey's eyes up, freezing their limbs. Just like that, food. Small and furry, fat and hairy, clothed and crying, it didn't matter. The power was hers, and in the air and right, what she could take was meant to be taken. High up on the tips of the building, she could feel it all move beneath her, each little tiny patter, each needless drumming word. They soon took to rifles and guns and arrows, and she slipped behind buildings faster than they ever were and took them out when they pointed to where she'd been, as if she would ever stay where she'd once been. This was what she was meant to be. She filled her throat with the joy of it.
0: Well, that was our trifecta. Hope you enjoyed it. My, 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 they grow up so fast. I bet my mom could eat up your mom. Speaking of transformations, just posted a new story on the Drabblecast B-Sides feed about a Wall Street hedge fund manager who wakes up one morning a clown. If you aren't subscribed to Drabblecast B-Sides, take a minute to hit up the B-Sides link at the top of our site, drabblecast.org, to get additional Drabbly content on a sporadic basis. Lots of fiction for lots of free. But if you've got the means, and you enjoy the show, you do have the option to donate to us to help us out with the operational costs of running a full fiction market. Now that's an investment option that no clown on Wall Street could ever pass up. Help pay authors for their work. There aren't many things more worthy of patronage than creativity. You can find three donation options off of our website, one that'll let you donate any amount you like through PayPal and credit card, and also $5 a month and $10 a month automatic subscriptions if you really want to put a skip in our step. We appreciate any amount you can give, though, and we appreciate one person in particular this week. This week's kick-ass donor of the week, Jenny Howland. Jenny lives in Rhode Island with her husband Matt, son Isaiah, and a pug dog named Pumpkin. She apparently hates Farmville and wishes internet barbarians would savagely lay siege to it and burn it to the figurative ground. Sounds like it's that time of the month. Jenny also knits window shops at Etsy.com and tries to cook anything and everything she possibly can from scratch ingredients small and furry fat and hairy clothed and crying it doesn't matter the power is hers what she can cook was meant to be cooked and finally Jenny wishes her friend Noah would quit being a douche and start listening to the Drabblecast well Jenny you can wish for your friend to stop being a douche but it's not up to us whatever they are you have to love them still. Thanks for the support, Jen. You rock. All right, moving on. Week to week, we have an ongoing 100-character story contest going on in our discussion forums. We call them twabbles or twitfix because we pick a winner each week and post it in our Twitter feed, which is at the Travelcast. by the way, if you want to find and follow us. This week's winner is Inferno InfernoFUD, with this one right here. The female voice from the smartphone navigation app spoke out of turn. Where are you going? I had to pee. Wait, what? (laughs) Those apps sure are getting out of control. Try writing a twit fic yourself, post in our forums. You might be next week's winner. All right, folks, that's our show. Remember, The Drabblecast is produced with a creative commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change or sell any of it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes or wherever you pick up the podcast. Tell a friend, spread the weird. Special thanks to this week's awesome episode artist, Alyssa Susamura. Alyssa is an invertebrate biology student at the University of Washington in Seattle, where she lives with two dogs, a cat, five humans, and an adopted cockroach, B.A. Eduardo Coricchio. When she's not studying, she makes lino-cut prints and volunteers at the Seattle Bug Safari, where she's often heard saying,
2: My dears, my sweets, my all, my all, my all.
0: We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of associate editor Matthew Bay, some weeping shark mothers, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that we caught them in the larval stage. You've got lots of time to settle your affairs, days at least. Like the smoke And laughter and curses Spilled like booze from a glass Words were all slurred when spoke Yes, words were all splurred when spoke In the dark corner table Sits Lance Fernandez, the boss And his women surround him like clothing All tussled and ready to toss All tussled and